Hey everyone, it's Joseph, he, him. It's been a minute. Sorry that I wasn't able to put out a new episode this past semester. Started off the semester very busy, then recorded a couple episodes in March, but then got even busier and did not have time to edit them. Um, here they are now. Um, this first one is with Jasmine Tinsley, she, her, where we talk about how to do black history properly. Hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of 2024. Um, so I remember that I said it would be, last time, it would, it would be a few weeks till a new episode, but it turned into a few months. Um, oopsies. Um, I got really busy at the beginning of the semester, but we're back now, and I'm joined today by one of my favorite guests, Jasmine Tinsley, the creator of the YouTube channel Her Story. And today we are going to talk about how to properly talk about black history, because we could all use a reminder every once in a while. Jasmine, thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I love coming on the show. It's, it's, thank you for having me back. Yeah. All right. So before we get too deep into the topic, um, tell us what all you're doing with um, Her Story. Um, so I started her story just as like a separate podcast, probably in the summer, maybe a month or two, more like a month after graduation. Um, and then I moved towards the end of the summer to Nashville. And I was like, well, I think I should just do like a YouTube channel and make it into like a more visual setting. So I started the YouTube channel and pretty much just took like my logo and kind of expanded it out a little bit. Um, but I've kind of made some changes to her story. I haven't uploaded anything new in quite some time because I've just been like crazy busy between work and I'm back in school now. So trying to find like that nice medium balance, but her story is, it's just like a fun place to really get into a lot of these historical topics, especially ones that aren't super well known. Um, obviously like I've talked about some things that some people know about, but I also want to make sure I highlight things that a lot of people don't know about or that aren't talked about in a lot of educational settings as well. So I started to do seasons where I'll focus like a certain region or continent or country for a couple of months, just to, again, like add that variety into, into history and talk about things that we don't know about. So I started with um, Africa, which I'm still doing. Eventually episode will get out there, <laughs> but, um, you know, I started with Africa because Africa is a huge continent and there are so many misconceptions about what Africa is like, what's Africa about. Everyone has like this idea that Africa is just this super, super poor place and everyone there lives in like mud houses or things like that. They don't think that Africa is actually developing into its own. And while Africa does have, have its issues, just like any other place, the U.S. is no different people just have this very messed up view of what Africa is, what their culture is like, their traditions. And Africa really is a beautiful continent. It's super huge. There's a lot of rich culture and tradition that exists in Africa. Um, you know, they haven't really changed their culture or their traditions to please other, other societies. They stick to who they are, which is the very amazing thing about Africa. So my goal with the channel is to just be able to 
tell these stories accurately, but also in a more relaxed environment where it's not so, hey, you guys, assignment due, figure it out. You know, I want people to actually learn history and actually have a good time while they're doing it. So that's kind of her story. Um, I think I'll have a new episode out at the end of this month. Been kind of working on it little by little, um, but that's kind of what's going on with her story. Amazing. And like the point about covering topics that are unknown in history, see within a lot of educational settings, you notice that there's like a lot of gaps in how we learn history. And what's always been very interesting to me is that once you fill those gaps with, or it, it, once you fill those gaps, there's a lot of context that you're now provided with like every single major event. Absolutely. Because there's a lot that gets left out with history. There's so much that gets left out. And, you know, when you're in school, like especially like middle school or like high school setting, you learn a lot of things, learn a lot of things. But then you start reading the books, your teacher starts talking about it and it starts not making sense at some point. So then you're like, but what about this? Or what about that? And a lot of kids, you know, we're kids, so we don't pay attention to that. But as you get older and you kind of see how the world is working or how it's changing or your experiences through through like your daily life, you kind of go back and go, well, that's a lot different from what I was told. That's a lot different from what I learned. So I like being able to fill in those gaps or, you know, build those puzzles and put all the puzzle pieces together and kind of make it make sense because a lot of the times it doesn't make sense. You know, we just kind of take everything for what it is and we're like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, that's true. And then somebody like me comes along and I'm like, you're missing some important stuff in there. So I think that's super important. Right, exactly. I See, I remember back before I took um, the 10th grade um, American history or not 10th grade, it was dual enrollment, but I was in 10th grade, um, American history reconstruction to present. And like the, one of my primary reasons at the time before I like took the class um, was that, oh, ne I've never really had um, a history class, middle or high school that's like gone deep into Cold War politics. So like, or because like the semester always ran out before you get to that unit, we always like spend like five months on um, the first two world wars um so then I'm like i want to i want to examine cold war politics but then i get into this class and i'm um, dr kerrigan she's like so we're gonna talk a lot about race and it's gonna make everything make way more sense in like some of the worst ways possible and i'm like Okay, so there was like this entire sub layer of history that should be taught that makes everything make sense that it's just not taught in a lot of high school settings, even though high schoolers are at the point of maturity when they can have these conversations. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, even when you talk about things like a lot of parents and schools having their feelings about the critical race theory being taught or just the concept of race and racism being taught in school in general I'm like well I don't want my kids to learn about that and I'm like well the your kid you don't want your kids to learn about it but like your neighbor's kid can experience it walking down the street at five years old so why can't we have these conversations within educational settings because race 
played a lot into a lot of the laws and regulations and all these bills and whatnot that got written into the United States. So it's like, it's important to talk about those things because the more we try to avoid them or pretend that it doesn't exist, the more nothing changes, the more things stay the same. I feel like a group of parents go on Dr. Phil and have like this whole meltdown about, oh my God, I know what my kids to learn about the critical race theory. And I was like, Dr. Phil, dude, I think you have enough money for all of us on this planet. Why are you talking to these people? I don't understand. Like, why do they have a platform? Why are we sitting here having a debate about racism being taught in school? Because you, you're gonna go home and teach your kids. You're gonna teach your kids racism anyway. They're gonna see what you do. They're gonna see what you talk about. They're gonna see how you interact with different people of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities. They're gonna pick up every single thing you do. Why? Because they're kids. Their brains are sponges. They're gonna soak it up. They're gonna think that it's normal. They're gonna go to school. They're gonna put out that same behavior they picked up from you. And then you're gonna be like, well, I'm not racist. Ma'am, you literally just harass this black man on the street for no reason, but you're not racist, but you don't want it to be taught in school. It's important. So we just gonna erase slavery. We're gonna erase Jim Crow. We're gonna erase all of that and pretend it just didn't happen. And that's not, that's not how it should work. But these parents are literally having meltdowns over all of this. And I'm like, it's history, not even just like past history. It's still current history. Like racism still happens. It's not a thing of the past. It still happens. So schools just have to make that decision that these are important things. And a lot of school officials and board members of school boards and superintendents, they don't want to make that decision, but you need to, because what are you telling the minorities in your school? What are you telling their parents? Oh, that they're pain and suffering and their oppression doesn't matter, that it's not important to learn about. That's the message that, that it gives off. And it's, that's why it's so important to have these conversations and make these decisions. Exactly. Um, there was this one absolutely amazing episode of John Oliver. All of John Oliver's content is absolutely amazing. Um, he, it, he explains everything so well, but he talked about... Um, critical race theory like three weeks ago um and he just completely went in on a lot of the hyper conservative hyper conservatism of like the anti-critical race theory movement and really talked about okay here's what's at stake here and then one of the other points that um he brought up was that a lot of people who seek to disprove critical race theory bring up these examples of like race being taught in like a kind of like not good way and he's like that's natural people are going to make mistakes people are going to make mistakes when talking about y equals mx plus b it happens we're human um but the important and like he also talked about um how one of his writers um like experienced um race being taught in like the worst way possible um and then he's like so just because these bad examples exist these outliers pretty much exist doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about race or that we at least shouldn't attempt to and there really needs to be way more scholarship and everything on how to actually teach about race depending on age group.
Very true. I, I absolutely agree. Like, obviously, you don't want to tell your five-year-old, hey, all these people got chopped up because they look like this. That's going to send your five-year-old to therapy. So there absolutely needs to be some sort of training to how to talk about these subjects and these topics, depending on the age group. Um, but I also think another thing with that as well, for people that do end up teaching history to other people, well, other students or kids, or even at the collegiate level, well, a lot of them are white. And the thing that I always hear, I do not like hearing this, it annoys me so much. Well, it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Good, you should be uncomfortable because it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't still be happening. You should be uncomfortable. But imagine how your black and brown students who have to sit through these lessons, these conversations, these opinions. Oh, let's have a discussion. We'll be discussing. What are we talking about? You know, even like in collegiate levels, a lot of the history classes, even at Stetson, where we do have to talk about racism, or I took a history class that was on Africa and the age of imperialism, which that should have came with a warning. But there was only myself and one other girl in the classroom who was actually from Nigeria. So when we started talking about a lot of the more difficult subjects, well, it's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable? We have to live it. So imagine how we feel having to sit through and now having to listen and then open the floor up for discussion and talk about what the Arthur's arguments were in the reading. What argument? <laughs> like, but those things like that. And it's like, if you're going to sit and make the excuse that you're uncomfortable, so you don't want to talk about it, this isn't the profession for you. This isn't the subject for you. This is not the type of class or education you should be teaching because history, while some of it is good and it has its nice achievements and nice goals that have been accomplished, I think a lot of people just only want to highlight that, but don't want to talk about all of the negative that has come from it as well. So when we talk about race and racism and oppression and slavery and all those things, a lot of Caucasian teachers, they don't want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable. You should be uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable, but that's why it's important to learn about it and talk about it because it needs to be known, it needs to be taught. That way you don't have kids grow up walking down the street and they just allow statements of pure ignorance to come out of their mouth. They say something completely out of line. They may not know it because in school they're taught, oh yeah, that's, that's fine. That's normal. You can go up and say this and that to this person. And then when they look at you like you're crazy, you're like, what did I say something wrong? Yeah. Oh, well, I learned that's normal. You learned that from your white parents. They don't know. They don't live in the shoes of someone who is black or someone who is Hispanic or someone who's Asian even. So they don't know. But I think there's a responsibility to know. There's a responsibility to have that willingness to learn. Because if you're gonna live in a country that's a melting pot, where literally everyone from everywhere lives here. If you're gonna say, oh, I'm not racist or I'm not insensitive, I'm not misinformed, then you have to take the effort to inform yourself and make sure that it's being taught properly. That way the same thing doesn't keep happening and we don't produce more generations that thinks that certain behaviors are okay. Exactly. And a lot of, a lot of this, anti 
teaching history movement, frankly, it, that's what it is, is that what, what it, the function of it is that it normalizes, um, it normalizes racist systems, uh, misogynistic systems, pretty much it, it just normalized systems of oppression. And it's also an acknowledgement that these systems are unjust because why would you want to hide something that's good? Like if, if you actually think of something as good, why would you want to hide it? They know that it's bad. They know that, basically, they know that they're racist without knowing that they're racist. Yeah, we put it that way, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, there's no sense in trying to hide it or run from it because this is what it is. As unfortunate and as sad as it is and as impactful as it is for a lot of different communities, this is, this is what we have. But that's why it's important to have these conversations and to talk about it and to create those plans of how we're gonna combat these issues. That way, when future generations come in, they don't have to experience the same things that myself or any other, other people have had to go through. So I don't understand why people don't want that to be the goal. Like we're supposed to get better. We're gonna say that the US is the greatest country on the planet, which that's debatable. Um, then why aren't we doing our part? Why aren't we doing our weight? And there are a lot of people who feel like it's not their responsibility, but it is. If you want to adopt Black kids, it's your responsibility. If you want to walk around and want to be a part of the Black culture and appropriate the culture, it's your responsibility. If you want your kids to have friends, it's your responsibility. <laughs> like, it's your responsibility. You got to send your kid to a school where you know everyone of every ethnicity and every race is going to be there. It's your responsibility. If you want your kid to grow up and be a great person, and no right from wrong, it's your responsibility. If you just want to be a decent human. Now, if you don't, you want to be an awful human, you know, by all means, that's on you. But if you want to pride yourself on saying you're not racist, you're the most accepting person on the planet, then it's your responsibility to learn these things. It's your responsibility to pull your weight and make sure that you're doing your part. No matter how small that part may be, at least you're doing something. Like at least you're saying, okay, let me take the effort to actually learn and figure out why what I said was insensitive or why what I did was insensitive. And a lot of people do not want to do that. Exactly. And like, this kind of, this kind of brings me a little bit to one of my pet peeves. I was talking to um, Melissa Njai and Camille Taylor, who are going to be on next week at next week's episode, um, talking about um, how race intersects with um, technology. That's going to be a really fun one, and it's also for a class grade, which is going to be cool. Anyway, um, but we, I was talking to Melissa and Camille about this, and it was about a class that I'm in that we talk about race a huge amount, and like. The professor of that, um, Dr. Chesia Burke, love her to death. She's amazing. Um, she like got here like couple like a couple of years ago. Um, she's an English professor. Um, check out her Twitter. It's so good. I made a meme that made it onto there. I will flex that for the rest of my life. Um, but anywho, so she was leading. Um, there was this like one documentary. Um, that they were watching in a class that I wasn't at because i was on concert choir tour um they were watching this documentary and like 
Dr. Brooks was like trying to get responses from um, a lot of people and um, like how like to have like a class discussion and everything. And so then in the middle of class, she's like, okay, circle time. Um, so why aren't you talking? And there was this one person, um, this one white student that was like, I do not feel comfortable talking about um, race a lot of times because I feel like I should just listen. But I'm like, you have to engage. You have to be able to actually talk about it yourself. You can't just rely on the black people in the room to do 100% of the emotional labor. You can't do that. You have to engage with the topic. You have to read. You have to do research. You have to like look into a lot of statistics. You have to read books. Read books, please. And like in order to like be able to engage in the topic. Yes, I know it's a lot of work. But it's what you have to do in order to respectfully engage with this. Yeah, I mean, that that's super important. I took, dang, what was the name of my JSAM that I took? I cannot remember the name of the JSAM I took, but basically it was a class where we talked about, we did talk about race a lot. And I was the only black student in the class. So you know, obviously when we would have these discussions, you know, I always have my my input, whatever, whatever. But the last couple of classes, I didn't say anything because I want to hear what other people have to say because I'm like, I can't just, I can't give you all the answers. I can't give you the entire, entire book. Like I need you to tell me what's going through your mind when you hear these things or when this is happening or when this event is happening or when this social movement is happening. I need to hear what you have to say because you can say you're listening but it could literally go in one ear and out the other. You could just sit there and be like, oh, okay. Go home, dump your brain out, and then that's it. But if you're not actually engaging in the conversation and talking about, okay, what does this make you feel? Or what do you think we should do to fix this? Or what goes on? What's your thought process when you hear about X, Y, and Z? If you're just sitting there and you're like, yeah, okay then I don't really know that you're there. I don't really know whose side you're on. I don't really know what side your support sits on. Like, we don't know. And it's not always on black people to just be like, okay, guys, here's a book of what to do and what not to do. While we do that sometimes in, in a lot of, in every situation, <laughs> in literally in every situation, we're tired. Like, I don't think people, understand that we are so mentally exhausted of having the same conversation over and over. We're tired of talking about why we need to find a better way to get better police officers in the department. We're tired of talking about why Black women go missing and get killed or overdose on drugs and nothing happens. We're tired of having this conversation. We're tired of being the ones like, okay, guys, these are our feelings today. Like we're tired of doing them. When is it, when are white people going to step up and be like, okay, all right, guys, we need to do something. We need to have a conversation. We need to figure out what can we do to make things better? What can we do to make this environment a lot safer, a lot more equal and level everything out? What can we do? Obviously it's not going to erase what has happened, but at least we can start that conversation. But instead everyone's just sitting on the sideline like, 
oh, well, we'll talk about it in this setting. We'll talk about it with our group. We'll talk about it in our chapter. Like, I'm not there. So I don't know what you're saying behind closed doors. I don't know what you're saying to your friends when I'm not around. I don't know who you turn into after I talk to you face to face. I don't know. Everybody on this planet has social media. If, if people who don't are usually just like really, really up there in age and has no idea how to work anything technology related. But other than that, everyone has access to social media. And everyone knows, some people know how to use TikTok, I don't. <laughs> but everyone has access to so many different things. Everyone has access to the internet. Everyone has access to Google. Everyone has access to pretty much anything you wanna get access to. So when it comes to these issues, where's the energy? We're, we're learning TikTok dances and doing TikTok challenges, but then when it's really time to have that conversation, everyone's like, not us, not me. <laughs> Who, us? Oh, that's not our job. No, it is your job. You wanna say you have black friends? It's your job. It is your responsibility. You wanna walk around talking about you can say the n-word it's just a word first off you can't say that to black people in 2022 because we we're not just don't do it <laughs> 10 out of 10 do not recommend you you can't do it you just can't <laughs> but <that's... laughs> this is like the second time you've explained this on the podcast and <laughs> like the 1500th time ever <laughs> It is it's ridiculous. <laughs> they can say really, they really get, especially on the internet, they get so bold on the internet. Like they'll be mouthing a song and say the N-word, and then when people in the comments come for come for them, they're like, but you guys, it's just the word. And you need to go back to school because you don't understand what that word means to black people. You want to adopt culture but you don't want to learn. You want to pass responsibility off onto us. We tired. I'm tired of teaching people. I am tired of talking about why you can't do X, Y, and Z. I'm tired of talking about why black people feel how they feel. Tired of talking about black mental health. I'm tired of talking about why prisons are absolutely awful for black people. I'm tired of talking about that because it's on y'all to learn it now. You guys gotta make the effort, but it's not, it's not there. Exactly. And like, <laughs> see, I really hate this attitude among, amongst a bunch of um, white people who claim to be um, like social justice advocates when they push back on the um, when when a lot of um, especially um, black activists say, oh, um, just go to Google so that I don't have to do the emotional labor all the all the time. Um, a lot of these white activists are like, that's the wrong approach to everything. I'm like, bruh. I mean, yes, there is concern with the Google search algorithm. It's awful. But at the same time, you have to put in effort. You can't just have everything spoon-fed to you. You have to learn how to search on the internet. That's part of being literate, frankly, in um, this society. Yeah, yeah, people have put in the work and the effort. Like, I don't want to keep explain, explaining stuff to people or 
you know, I've had instances where people come up to me and go, oh my God, can I touch your hair? It just looks so soft. And I didn't know you guys had soft hair. Ma'am, what? Like, you I'm guys. sorry. I'm like, what do you mean, you guys? Well, you know, I just didn't think Black people had... Are you upset that your hair is thinning and balding and I have a head full of hair? Like, is that what this is really about? Because, ma'am, what are you talking about? Well, can I just touch it? Because I didn't think you guys hair. I said, wait, ma'am, if you put your little dingy fingers in my hair, please don't do that. And it was like her asking as she was trying to touch my hair. So I was like, you can't ask in the process of complete in the action. You, you can't do that. I said, ma'am, you, I said, do me a favor, touch your hair. And she was like, um, okay, why am I doing that? And I said, okay, see, see how your hair feels? My hair feels the same way. It's just thicker than yours. And I like walked away from her. She was like, that was so rude. And I was like, no, what was rude was you walked up to me, minding my business, not bothering a single soul. You walked up to me, tried to touch my hair, and then asked in the process and got mad because I told you no. Like, ma'am, it's hair. It's just a different texture. It's hair. It, it grows out the scalp. You know, you know how this process works. You know how hair grows. It's hair. It's not that crazy. It's not that, it's really not. Well, I just said, ma'am, if you call us you guys one more time, like we're not you guys. No. So I was like, yeah, we're going to exit stage left before I hurt this lady's feelings out here in public because she was really pushing buttons. And I feel like sometimes they do that on purpose. Like they know that they're going to push buttons. I think they look for a reaction because the stereotype for Black people, especially Black women, is that we're all just angry, aggressive, loud groups of women when we're not. I'm not very loud at all. I actually have the quietest voice ever. Like I have a mouse voice. I do not talk loud, none whatsoever, except in certain situations. But I'm not aggressive at all. I'm not angry at all the time. <laughs> but it's just like, you're looking for a reaction based off of a stereotype. But a lot of the time, the reason why we are so angry is because White people, y'all just do stuff that you don't have no business doing. And you know you have no business doing it. So when we try to be polite and be nice about it, that response isn't perceived very well. So then we gotta get out of character a little bit. And when we get out of character, the first thing you guys say is, oh my God, you guys are heathens. Well, we tried it the nice way. We tried to be respectful about it. We tried to come to the table and have a conversation. You guys didn't wanna hear that. So we said, well, since that's not working, let's try it another way and see how that works. So that response gets, gets you guys to sit down and actually listen. But the nice approach doesn't get you guys to listen. And then you get mad when we give you the ugly approach. Right. And then, like, those very same white people are like, oh, y'all need to be nicer about it. And, like, what the frick? Like, you didn't listen to the nice approach. And now you're listening at the harsh approach, the tough but fair approach. Um, but now you're suddenly wanting the nice approach again. You don't get to decide that. 
And I mean, after hundreds and hundreds of years of trying it the nice way, we're like over it. We're tired. We are fed up. We're done because it's 2022 and we're still having the same conversation from 400 years ago when we shouldn't. And that's because people refuse. It's not that people can't change their way of thinking. They just don't want to. I always hear people say, oh, you know, sometimes older people just get set in their ways. No, old people can change too. They just don't want to. People can change. People can change their views and people can actually open their ears and their eyes and actually learn, educate themselves and correct their way of thinking. But they don't want to because that's, that's too much for them. It's not their responsibility. It's not their job. It's not their, their area. So they don't want to do it. They don't understand that's causing more harm than good. And that doesn't really make black people comfortable either. That makes us go, okay, let us just kind of take our distance and back up and stay on our side of the field because you guys don't want to don't want to do what you are supposed to do. Like it's your responsibility. It's not a, well, I can do this if I want to, but it's not really. No, that's just like buying a car. You know, you got to get insurance, liability insurance. At least you go. I hit another person. I don't have insurance. It's not my responsibility anymore. Ma'am, you hit this lady's mailbox. It is your responsibility because your car hit the mailbox and now you don't have insurance, which is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. <laughs> and like people get it with like car insurance and everything, but like as soon as it is about like race or gender or like class or anything, Anything that's like, in a sense, abstract, they don't get it. They don't get that they have to be held accountable for the harm that they commit to people. Yeah, like these, you know, it's so funny because yesterday when I got home from work, I was on Instagram and I saw someone post this article about Emmett Till's family wanting the woman who falsely accused him of whistling at her or whatever to actually be charged with the crime and you know i read through some of the comments some were like yeah definitely you know you had a few interesting people who felt differently and i'm just like well even if you think about that situation this was a kid a teenager who was just minding his business this woman comes out here, cries in crocodile tears and claims that he whistled at her and tried to talk to her. And these men do the most unthinkable thing that I've ever seen done to a kid. Like, it was awful. And now when we're having a conversation about accountability, because now we're at a point where accountability can actually be a thing, because back then, you know, you pay off a judge or two, you just kind of go sky-free. Some ways it still works like that a little bit now, but even more so back in the 50s and even before then. So now that we're having this conversation about accountability, I was like, well, I mean, she's like, oh, yeah, we might as well not even, I don't care. She never owned up to it. She never took responsibility for it. She cost this kid his life. She knew it was going to get him killed because this, this is a time where white guys could go and kidnap a black person hang him from a tree or do some really unthinkable things and get a slap on the wrist for it that was the time you knew what the outcome was going to be but now that we're having this conversation about accountability everyone's like 
oh, well, we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do this. Well, she shouldn't have did that. 14-year-old kid shouldn't have been singing in the bottom of a river. Why are we trying to make excuses for the actions of this woman? And why are we making excuses for that? So you mean to tell me if it was another white kid who had this done to him and the family said she needs to face responsibility. Oh, I guarantee you that a court would be like, yeah, bring it to court. Let's go, draw up the papers. Let's charge her, bring it to court. But in this situation, nobody wants to hold accountable or do anything. We're like, oh, yeah. just let her go, it's fine. She's up in age now. No, it's not cool. That brings no sense of relief to his family. That does nothing for them. And I'm sure even if she did go to jail, that would still, it would still be a lot of pain there for them. But at least they would know that there was a sense of accountability and responsibility on somebody's part. And there isn't. It's the same way with how some of these officers have killed Black people for literally no reason. Police officer killed a man in front of his four-year-old daughter. He got fired. He got to go home to his kids and his wife at night while his four-year-old daughter didn't have a dad anymore. And now you gotta explain to her why her dad is no longer here. And there's no accountability for it. Same thing with George Floyd. Officer just got, he, he just got fired, got to go home. You can go home and take your uniform off at night, but we can't take our skin off. We can't, like, I can't take this off. It, it just stays, it's here. We don't get to walk outside and change the way people choose to treat us. Unfortunately, it's not a power that we possess. As much as we want that to change, but that starts with white people. It starts, it starts there. They have the ability to help change that and to help push this change. It's, we can't do it by ourselves. So, yeah. Exactly. And like that, per that particular case, it just really connects a lot with the power that white women especially hold in the current sociopolitical landscape where they can where a lot of white women um this has a lot of historical backing a lot of white women can just falsely accuse um especially black men of like pretty much any crime especially um crimes of sexual violence um, and then the entire, like, town will rally together to murder someone. They hold a lot of power in that aspect. They can, the man wasn't even at the house. He was in a whole other city. He gets accused of an awful crime and they come pick him up. Oh, yeah, you've been accused X, Y, Z, Jill. The dude's like, what? I don't even live in that town. I wasn't even there that night. But it just goes to show how many people work in institutions where it's supposed to be fair, but it's not. It never will be, unfortunately. But they give these people with all these prejudiced views and, and racist views and their perception of how every group acts, especially Black people. And they assume the worst. They, they pull Black people over and do the most. Not to say that there aren't good people out there. There are. But from what we've seen and what we've experienced, there's a lot of bad. I mean, even going back like into the early 1900s, there were literally KKK members holding state positions in law enforcement, sitting on, on cabinet boards, all of that stuff. 
which is how a lot of this, a lot of these lynchings got got past these people, which is why a bill had never been passed to make lynching. It literally just got made illegal a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. It's 2022. Lynching is just now illegal. I don't think it's even just that. I think it only like passed the House of Representatives with three Republican um, House members voting no. It, I don't think it even has passed the Senate yet. I mean, hopefully it does. But like with our current political landscape, you never know because you have the Rand Pauls of the world um, just completely blocking these types of bills from happening. Yeah. And I mean, even with <laughs> Joe Biden, um, I've never been a fan of Joe Biden because he does something that a lot of white people do, which is they do things to feed what they think is gonna help the black community, but really don't care. He doesn't care. Trump didn't care. A lot of these other smaller politicians don't care. Even just normal white people that aren't politicians, they don't care. It's easy to get on social media, set up your camera and go, I support the black community. I'm a black ally. I stand with the community. And then when something awful happens, it's really time to stand with the community. Everyone's like, I didn't say that. I don't support that. I back the blue. I back this. You back what? But you just said last week you support the black community. But, but now it's time to support the black community and you disappear. What's, what's going on? I mean, why? What, what changed? Oh, I see what changed. Mm -hmm. It's just like how it used to be back in the day when there were white people who were actively supporting black people and speaking out even before slavery got abolished or white people that were like writing against slavery and speaking out against slavery. And even after slavery ended, they all, they all got called black people lovers. Well, they used a more harsher word back then, but that's what they were called back then because it wasn't socially acceptable to support black people. It wasn't socially acceptable to say that black people should have equality and all the rights that everyone else in this country has. It's the same thing happening today. It's just in a different format. And people don't understand that. I've always said history repeats itself every day, just in a different fashion, in a different timeline. It's the same thing happening now that used to happen back in the 1800s and the early 1900s. It's the same thing. Right. And I just I just looked up the anti-lynching bill. It got passed this week. Literally this week. Um, let's see, what's today? Today is March 12th. It took like a hundred years, really, to pass this. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's really you listen, people are looking at this as like some huge achievement, and I'm like, this should have passed in 1970 at the latest. It's so sad. And there are going to be people posting again going, oh my God, you guys, look, we got a bill. That's nothing to celebrate. Because killing people because of their skin color shouldn't have been legal in the first place. That's nothing to celebrate. It's 2022. Why are we just now getting a bill for that? That does nothing for us. That doesn't mean that the KKK is going to go away. They never did. They're still here. They're still here. I've, I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard some things. They're still there. And 
that doesn't mean that's going to stop them from doing what they do. They're just going to do it in different ways now. Now they know they can actually go to jail for it. Well, depending on the state, maybe, maybe not. They might be able to get away with it in Texas. That's pretty normal in Texas. That's where it all started. But it shouldn't have taken this long for there to be accountability. Like that's ridiculous. That does nothing for us. That's not an achievement for, for the black community. That's not an achievement for the United States. That's a disgrace because it's 2022. And then three people voted against it. I wanna know why they voted. <laughs> I need a detailed reasoning why they voted against this bill. So you just want black people hanging from the trees still in 2022? That's what that's what that's what they're saying. Yeah, it's fine. Go ahead, lynch them. Knock yourself out. That's what you're saying. That's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pulling up right now um, the three representatives. Um, oh yeah, that voted against this. Um, reps Andrew Clyde, Thomas Massey, and Chip Roy. Now the one that I'm really familiar with is Thomas Massey who is one of the most racist people in Congress. Um, let's see if I can find... Let's... He He's, like, one of the worst. Like, he's spoken at, like, borderline white nationalist conferences. Um, he He's just... He's one of the worst. Like, he's among, like, Paul Gosar. Um, it's just... Just so bad. Like, I cannot say enough bad things about him. Good lord. And you know, it's so crazy. They will never understand the pain of having to bury your loved one because somebody had that much hatred in their heart. You don't even know this man. You don't know this person. You don't know any of them. And you just decide to just hang them from a tree. They will... Oh, okay. Well, they didn't break their car out there. <laughs> there was just like a, a car, I guess, just kind of slid on the snow ice situation a little bit. I don't know. Well, I think they'll be fine. But they will never understand the pain that comes with that. The trauma that comes with that. The fear that comes with you. You don't even want to leave your house after something like that. Because you're scared. You live every day walking on eggshells, not knowing if this is going to be the day that someone who is so hateful and so racist is going to take you out or not. They will never have to experience that. Their kids will never have to experience that. But you vote against the bill that basically just says you shouldn't be killing people for no reason. You shouldn't be killing people on skin color. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's an article here that says Republicans said the anti-lynching bill would endanger other liberties, such as freedom of speech. How is murder freedom of speech? What? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, Edit. Thomas so when you get to this, when you get to this freedom of speech um, BS, it's like freedom to say what? Freedom to say what? <laughs> I didn't know that murder was a representation of freedom of speech. I didn't know that. See me and tell me I could just walk outside and just beat the living daylights out of somebody saying, 
Well, I was expressing my First Amendment right. No, they would lock me up and throw away the key. They would throw me in jail so quick. And I even think twice about it. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm confused on that one. I've never heard me, I've never heard anything so downright outraged. You understand what you just told Emmett Till's family? Oh, they were just expressing their First Amendment, right? It was fine. That's what you just told his family. That 14-year-old boy who got kidnapped, his granddad couldn't do anything, got woken up out of their sleep. They took this man, put him in the truck, drove him to wherever they drove him to, beat the crap out of him, pistol whipped him, and then tied him up with this... Um, it was like a cotton machine type thing. Tied him up with that, wrapped that cord around him and threw him into a river. His face was so disfigured. It was really hard to even identify him. And you guys say that it's freedom of speech. Wow. I've never heard anything like that before. This is what we learn about history. <laughs> this is why. This is why. This right here. When you can't even say pretty much that murder is wrong, you have a problem with how we teach history. This is why history is important. This is why black history is important. I want to talk about now how to properly do Black History Month on social media. So just a quick thing um, as a barometer of like how well you're doing at social media as far as like race and everything. If the only black people that you have on your social media is like of Martin Luther King or obviously staged photos to show diversity, um, you have a problem. Well, we both know where this is going. So. Oh, yeah. So, to give everyone context, um, I was on Instagram one day, and I hadn't noticed it yet, but I came home, and I had decided to do like a little mini Black history series where I was just highlighting different Black people that had done amazing things, but just talking about things in Black History Month in general, right? So I was sitting there, I was looking at my Instagram, I said, wait a minute, it's Black History Month. I've seen no one in Greek life say anything about Black History Month. So what did I do? What I always do, I said, well, I said, first, let me go to their pages, let me make sure I didn't miss something. Cause I didn't want to just come out and, and lose my mind if there was like an actual post. There wasn't one on anyone's social media. So I made a video about it. I posted it, put it up on my story, you know, a couple friends shared it, blah, blah, blah. And I got one response. And also I'm an alumni of Greek life, but even as a current member, I personally did not care about ruffling feathers in the Greek community. I did not. I really did it. I don't care what I was doing in my respective sorority. I sat on a couple of different boards, blah, blah, blah. 
Jasmine did not care. My mouth is very, it's here. We'll say that. Rated E for everyone. Right. Yeah, ready for everyone. So when I saw that no one had made any posts or done anything for Black History Month, I said, well, this isn't right because not only am I a former member of Greek life, but as a Black person, just in general, if we're going to have Black people in these organizations, then there needs to be education, especially on social media, because not all of the community is within your community and sees what you do or what you say or where you stand, because they're not in your community specifically. So I pretty much had a whole fit and I said something about it. I got one response, which I was not happy with, did not like it. The response essentially was, oh, well, this person and that person on exec, they're working on some posts. They just haven't gotten around to putting it out yet. And I didn't even realize that there was a lack of it on social media, blah, blah, blah. But we're talking about it in chapter. So I said, okay, that's fine you're talking about it in chapter. Good for you, whoop-de-doo. But I'm not in your chapter. The rest of the black population on that campus is not in your chapter. So they don't know where you stand. But also with the power of social media, talking about black history, especially in the way that the education system is going, that's super important. And I felt like the Greek community puts so much energy and effort into creating all their other videos for like, you know, philanthropy week, blah, blah, blah. And those, what I don't deem appropriate pageants, I don't think they're appropriate, but that's another conversation. Um, we put all that energy into that. And then as soon as someone says something about Black History Month, it's crickets. And nobody else had said anything. So there was a girl from another sorority that had reached out to our friend and said, oh, well, we did do something for Black History Month. We posted something on our story. So I said, well, that disappears in 24 hours. What's your point? So I was on live over on my Her Story Instagram account. This is like a week after I had posted the video. And I had kept talking about it um, throughout that week. But I was on my live and I was talking to the girl, uh, to another girl in my, in my life. And we were having like a completely separate conversation. I wasn't even talking about grief life that night. I wasn't talking about any of it. And this girl pops in. I didn't know who she was. I saw that she followed me, but she had never interacted with any of my content, which was like a huge red flag for me. So after the live, I went to go see who she was. And she was a member of that same sorority of the girl who had said something about what I posted on my Instagram. So I said, wait, you guys send people to spy on my lives now? Like, what's going on? So the next few days that I had kept going live, I noticed that that was happening. So I got real pissed. I was pissed because it's Black History Month. It's the one month that's carved out to really, really, really learn about Black history, why it's important, to talk about things that we don't know, to talk about things we might even know. So then I saw two posts from two frats. One wasn't even really for Black History Month, to be completely honest. It was like, oh, well, we hear our DEI board, blah, blah, blah. 
and you know, you can tell when a statement is made after something's happened. It was like one of those statements, like a blanket statement. But what that, the statement wasn't even the part that pissed me off. The part that pissed me off was they wrapped their logo in African colors and then put that corny clip of Malcolm X as the next slide. Then the other one posted this picture of Martin Luther King, like in a crowd, shaking hands with someone. And the, the words they put over the picture was a statement from another chapter, just posted, placed it over the picture. Not just another chapter, a chapter in Texas. <laughs> That's the worst part, a chapter in Texas. You gonna choose Texas? Texas. So then, you know, the caption was from like their VP or whatever. We stand with our black brothers and sisters. No, you don't. Cause I have been getting screenshots from another friend of mine off of Yik Yak. So I have been reading about something that they had done, which is why that's, that post came out. It came out after they had done something. So I'm like, so we just used this to cover our behinds at this point. So then, you know, I'm waiting to see the other posts roll in at this point. No other organizations posted anything. So um, I decided that I was going to make a phone call to somebody, which I did. I texted that person. I had a meeting with that person. I wasn't satisfied with the meeting. I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't. Because essentially what I got told was, oh, it'll be better next year. Then when I offered to talk to the community myself, because I felt like maybe it's, while it's really not always black people's responsibility in this situation, I felt like they needed to hear it from someone that was black. And they needed to not hear this professionalized, formal meeting type statement situation. No, they needed somebody that was really gonna dig into their behinds and be like, look, what you're doing is not cool. You need to fix it. They needed to hear that. And I got told no. It'll be better next year. That's something you say about a sports team. <laughs> It'll be better next year. Right. They'll make the playoffs next year. Yeah. They'll get the I mean, As an Ohio State basketball fan, I've been saying, oh yeah, wait until our new recruiting class comes in for next year. I've been saying that for three years. <laughs> like, and come on. And, you know, you know, obviously they were like, oh, well, thanks for, for bringing it up. You know, I appreciate you doing blah, 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 X, Y, and Z, yada, 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 which is fine. But Black people are tired of hearing, oh, it'll be better next year. It'll be better in a couple months. It'll be better this time around. Like, how many times do we have to hear that before somebody actually does something? So, um, I mean, Black History Month is that month to just really learn to really understand the culture that white people try so hard, and I mean really hard, to be in. And the fact that there was no effort, no energy, no thought, no nothing, pissed me off. It sent me over the edge. And, you know, after that Zoom incident, I figured there would be a lot more effort. Um, so I kept talking about it, like for the next couple of weeks, I kept talking about it because I was like, this, is, this isn't cool. So what I said I was going to do, I said, 
I'm going to conduct a social experiment because I want to see what the energy is going to be for Women's History Month. And I said, I want to see how quick a post goes up about Women's History Month. And I'm going to compare it to Black History Month. Well, oh, the energy was so different. How was it different, Jasmine? <laughs> While I love Women's History Month, I do, because it's history. I'm a history lover. I have a freaking map in my bedroom. I'm a history lover, okay? 110%. The issue I have is it just, it felt so, it felt like a slap in the face. Like on International Women's Day, everyone was like, oh, happy International Women's Day. Here are my favorite women. All the sororities and whatnot were posting like their posts and all that stuff. And I was like, but you couldn't highlight your black members on Black History Month? Oh, but now that it's Women's History Month, you know, it includes everybody. Oh, we wanna, we wanna scream, yell and shout and do the most for that. But we couldn't highlight our black members. That doesn't make any sense to me. So then I said, Black members in these organizations, what are we doing? What's the conversation? What's going on? Because these organizations are not cheap at all. I'm not spending another dime in Greek life until they get their stuff together. And I said that in my live, I said that in my post, and I said that to the person I met with too. And I meant it. I was like, I'm not paying to be an alumni chapter. Why would I do that? I slapped my own face. That goes against everything I just said. Why would I do that? So when International Badge Day came around, somebody had texted me and said, oh, are you going to post anything for International Badge Day? No, because I don't respect the badge right now. I don't. I'm not respecting anything where when it's time to be accountable for people of color, everybody goes silent. But then as soon as Women's History Month rolls around, everyone's like, yay, yay. Where was that energy at last month? Y'all knew it was coming. Where's the energy? Where was the post? And then I started hearing that people in Greek life were saying that it was BSA's responsibility to educate on Black History Month. And I found out that really, really, really pissed off BSA. Now, Melissa, as the president of the Black Student Association, is it BSA's responsibility to educate everyone on what racism is? No. <laughs> Thank you. And the person I met with, I told them that too. I said, that did not rub them the right way. And they were like, oh, well, I met with president and vice president. I don't think they had a conversation about that specific conversation. They talked about the events they were doing for Black History Month. And I believe like the possibility of doing something with Greek life. And I said, why would they want to collaborate with Greek life when Greek life just said it's their responsibility to educate all Black people? Why would they do that? Because if you got Black people in your organization, it's your responsibility. You want to walk around saying, oh, we're diverse and inclusive. No, one Black person in your Greek organization does not make you diverse or inclusive at all. It doesn't. And for whatever reason, the Greek community just pretended like I wasn't in Greek life and I don't know a lot about a lot. I got screenshots. I know a lot about a lot. 
I have a screenshot from exec members who said they would not attend anything in relation to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this was like really their opportunity to be accountable and say, you know what? We didn't do anything for Black History Month. How do we fix it? How do we educate on Black History Month? Because MLK and Malcolm X, it's not gonna get it. Everybody know who they are. Everybody knows. We can talk about some other people. We can talk about some other amazing things or even some of the more darker things because that's important as well. And there was nothing. So I, I lost, I lost it. Mm -hmm. And like one of the, one of the points that we talked about was that the difference between um, the, <clears throat> the two um, Black History Month posts of those frats and like all of the Women's History Month posts um, or International Women's Day, um, it was the Black History Month posts we're only really talking about suffering and nothing else and trauma. Whereas Women's History Month, they were like, yay women, which is great. Yes, yay women. But at the same time, you're not taking a multifaceted approach to either. Yeah, no, they're really not. It's really like the, it's not even the bare minimum. It's like below the bare minimum, in my opinion. And I know, God, it's so hard because I know I can't use names, but my respective organization that I was alumni of, I told them I was pissed with them because it didn't, it, to me, it did. The very, like literally that Friday before Black History Month ended was when the post came out. I was pissed because I knew it was just to cover their behinds. But we don't forget, listen, I love Women's History Month. It's great. But it's the fact that you guys remember to post on that day. We remember International Badge Day. We remember Bid Day, but we don't remember Black History Month. We're gonna drag our feet through that. I don't, that's not cool. That's not okay. Black History Month is so important. One, it's already the shortest month of the year, but that's really a carved out space to really learn to take that initiative and learn. It's not on black people. I don't wanna talk about black history month all I don't wanna talk about pain and suffering all the time. I don't wanna do that. It's not on me to just do that. It's y'all's responsibility as well. And that's not, it's just not okay that that wasn't seen as our priority. It just got put on the back burner. And then when somebody calls them out, there was no accountability. And to be quite honestly, to be quite honest, the Greek community has never had accountability, ever, ever. There's always been a lack of accountability. There's never been, the person that I met with, they said, oh, well, I didn't know that because I don't really see, I, you know, I don't look at their social media. What? I'm sorry, what? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't look at their social media? This is what I'm talking about. This is why stuff slips through the cracks. And obviously there's always gonna be something that slips through the cracks because they can't be there watching 24 seven about what happens within every organization. But there have been things in the Greek community that have literally been stepped over and have happened time and time again with no consequence. Especially when it comes to like race and racism. 
time and time, some of these organizations just have black people in them because they knew what they didn't, that, that wouldn't really go over too well. They don't have black people in their organizations because they really care. They can care less. Every organization has to meet a quota every year. Now, if they don't meet it, then they don't meet it. But they know if they don't have at least one black person in it, there's gonna be questions that they don't wanna answer. Yep, you nailed it. And like, you know what? We, for some of these orgs, we can reveal the names. Um, I was looking at um, Pike's um, social media like the other day. And this is why I brought up the point at first about like the amount of black people on a social media page. Um, but I was looking at Pike's Instagram and the only um, black person that they've shown in the, within the past like three years at least because like they a lot of greek workers barely post on social media honestly but anyway the only black person they've shown in like the past three years is martin luther king <laughs> that's it and it makes you wonder from there it's like do they have any black members and if so are they hiding the black members of pike I did notice that. I noticed that. And what was so crazy, the post that they posted for Black History Month, there were two Black people that commented under it. was like, we're so proud of you guys. Proud of what? What are we proud of? First of all, why MLK? I, like I, I, I said this before too. I was like, I'm convinced that MLK and Malcolm X are the only Black people they know historically because we all know who MLK is. That's not to diminish his accomplishments. He's done some amazing things, absolutely. But there are other people in Black History Month as well there's so many great people there's so many great people and you know the whole we stand with our brothers and sisters no you don't where your black members at i don't see them how are you keeping these black what i want to know <laughs> the real question how are these greek organizations maintaining their black members because per personally for me and i can only speak for myself and my experience because of things that i witnessed the things that i've experienced and the things that i've seen I don't, I really don't know how they're maintaining their black members. I don't. I have no clue how any Greek organization is maintaining their black members. I really don't. I don't see how. I don't see how. I'm not understanding how black members are still sitting in these organizations right now. Cause it's awful. It's ridiculous. It's gotten worse. Like after that whole Zoom thing, it got worse. It really did. When I made the video and I met with the lady about it, I met with her twice and I didn't hear anything else. The people that were supposed to face consequences, I don't think anything happened to them. And then I got told it was confidential. So I said, well, them being racist wasn't confidential, so why should their punishment be confidential to me? Everybody should know. Because then nobody told them to hop on the Zoom and be racist. I don't understand it. But social media is so powerful and, I, and they know. Everyone knows how much pull social media can have for a person. So when it came to Black History Month, I was like, this is really your time to educate. Highlight your Black members or let them talk about why Black History Month is important to them or what Black History Month even means to you or share a fun fact that you didn't know about Black History Month that you now know. That was your opportunity. That was your space to really think outside of let me just find a very generic photo of MLK and a very generic clip of Malcolm X and throw it up on the internet. 
oh, let me just find some black women real quick, get a little quick little paragraph and put it up. Let me make sure I put one or two black women that are in our organization and throw it up there. There was so much room for so much education and, and growth and highlighting a lot more than what got highlighted. Exactly. Like, your Greek org could have reposted your content every day that you did it. Like, right there. You are an alumna of that Greek org, and they'll be like, they could have just, like, even just put them on, put them on the story and be like, here's what our sister is doing. It's, you know, it's going great. Donate to her cash app at um, Steady Girl, which all of the people that do this should do that. You know, I never thought about that. But yes. They could have done that too. You were right there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm right here. Like right here. Use me. <laughs> don't, well, don't use me negatively, but use me. Like there was so much space and opportunity to, I, even before I had said anything about them not posting Black History Month, I was doing many Black History series. That was opportunity. That was room. Any Greek organization could have used my content. I would not have cared because it's getting right. out there. Like it's spreading the information and knowledge. Because what people don't understand is, is that Black people are the blueprint for everything. We wouldn't have a lot of stuff that we have without Black people. As much as I enjoy my country music, because I do. But a lot of these conservative people that like their country music, <laughs> hi, that's thanks to us. You adopted it from blues, which comes from us. Rock and roll comes from us. It started with us. Everything started with us. This was the room to learn. Everybody wants to go get like their box braids and get their lips done and want to go get super, super tan so they can appear to be black and fit in the black community. Oh, I'm not racist. I have black friends. My sister's dating a black guy. I'm not racist, but you don't want to learn the history. Don't want to learn the history. I don't get it. I'm just still thinking about how, um, okay, people that are on the social media, they know that you weren't thinking. Theta could have just been like, hey, or people within Theta could have been like, hey, members and alumni, um, here is our sister doing this. Donate. We, Greek life claims to be this huge networking opportunity for people and like they always claim to like we have your back and everything but not in this case no no they no. haven't have they supported you in any fashion really like as an organization with her story no no not there you single, go not a single one first off that whole networking thing is bs it does not apply for everyone if you're not in the business bingo it's literal bullcrap. It's BS. If you don't fit into the interests of what whoever is networking is doing, it's not gonna work for you. Cause it damn sure didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Literally graduated in the middle of the pandemic and I had no clue. I had a clue, but I didn't have a clue of what I was gonna do after graduation. I was gonna go to law school, but then I kind of changed my mind. I moved. I mean, I figured out my own way, but when I started the YouTube channel, they didn't reach out or support or anything like that, nothing. And I think what bothered me the most is that my own organization made an excuse. You made an excuse. And then when I say something about it, 
all of a sudden, the, oh man, what's her position? I can't remember what her position is, but she started watching my stories like consistently. Does not interact with any of my content. Never liked the video, never liked the picture, didn't like anything I posted within the last couple of weeks. As soon as I say something about data and start holding people accountable, oh, we want to watch the story and work the stories. No, talk to me, step to me. I'm the one who said it. Don't go step to people behind my back. Talk to me, because I said it. And I meant what I said. And it made me so mad because I expected more from Theta. I expected more. I really did. And, you know, I see like all of their date night function picks. They just put up their bid day picks. I saw their International Women's Day picks. And then I was like, let's go back to Black History Month. Let's go back to that. Because you guys waited until the Friday, two days before Black History Month ended, or three days, one or the other, either way, and then wanted to post something. But didn't forget International Women's Day. Didn't forget Bash Day. Didn't forget that. But Black History Month, oh, it's going to drag our feet. Like, come on. It was a perfect opportunity. I literally did a whole series for Black History Month. You could have used it. You could have used it. You could have came up with an idea. You could have came up with something a little bit more original than what you guys put out. Same thing for the Fracks. Could have did the same thing. Every, it's so crazy because people in the Greek, some people in the Greek community that follow me, they are so nosy, but they don't interact with any of my content. They're nosy with what I put on my story, but do not interact with my content. Like, no, don't come spy because Stetson can't take my degree. I already got it. You can't kick me out. I didn't pay to be an alumni. So, <laughs> like, when are we gonna start being accountable? I don't wanna hear we're talking about it in chapter. That does nothing for me. Cause we've been talking about it in chapter for over a year now. I don't wanna hear it's gonna get better. I don't wanna hear, but it's not like that. Really? Well, I just heard Pike did something. So clearly it's like, it's like that. When are we gonna start making the effort? When are white people gonna like get outside of themselves and really do what they need to do? Don't tell BSA it's their responsibility. They pissed with y'all. They are pissed. They are not happy. Those words should have never came out of anybody's mouth because that was not cool because it's not their responsibility. Obviously they did events for Black History Month, which I saw they looked amazing. And I know they went well. You guys could have partnered up and did something with even the Sigmas. The Sigmas support the other Greek organizations more than the other Greek organizations support them. And that's crazy to me. There was so much room for opportunity. There was so much room. I seen, who was it? I can't remember what sorority, but they did like a social with Delta Sig on the beach. During Black History Month, there was so much room for opportunity. So much room. And nobody took the opportunity. Yep, you nailed it. All right, I think that's a really good place to end to end the episode. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on to this show once again. Jasmine's cash app is Steady Girl. Um, I don't know if you need the dollar sign at the beginning. I bear I don't really use cash app that much. But anyway, it's there. Give money. Do it. She's doing really good work that's just so important. And 
thank you for having me on the show again. I really appreciate it. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Jasmine for coming on to the show again. Next week, our episode will be with Melissa Njai and Camille Taylor as we talk about technology and social media and how they connect to various systems of oppression. Our intro song for today is by Justin Dallasay and the outro is by Olivia Russo Hood. See you later.